0: in this episode, pulling out high margin barrels. How much uncertainty is okay? And what is your sensitivity to your own forecast?
1: Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the oil and gas technology podcast with your host, Mark LaCour.
0: Hey, folks, before we get deeper in the episode, do me a favor. If you want to support the show, leave a review. Thank you for all those out there that have left reviews for this show and our other shows. What it does, the review is help other people notice that this show might be something they're interested in. So you're basically helping your peers find the good oil and gas podcast, like this one. So this is a great review by Ginger of All Trades from the United States of America. Now, I think I know who Ginger of All Trades is. Great podcast to listen to us, for us oil and gas geeks out there that haven't had the time to wrap our heads around all the new innovations within the industry. Thanks for the valuable content as usual. Mark. Uh, you're very welcome, ginger of all fall, fair trades. Today we have a, a special guest, but before we get to Garrett and his story, a big shout out to Flatour for sponsoring our show. They are literally the leader in industrial internet of things per Gardner's Magic Quadrant. and If you want to understand more about IoT, especially in oil and gas, reach out to them. Great group of people over there. And We're sitting here with Garrett, and is it Leahy? Leahy, Leahy, that's right. Yeah, I got it right. How are you doing
2: today, Garrett? I'm doing great. How are you, Mark?
0: We're busy. We were just talking about that before we turned the microphone on. And this always constant on world, it's so easy to get caught up in stuff that maybe don't always direct you toward your goals. But for now, you and I are going to take 30 minutes out of both of our busy days we're kind of talk about what you're doing with, what's the name of your company? Tachyus. Tachyus. Now, what does Tachyus mean?
2: Tachius is a, the story's kind of funny, It's it comes from the, the word tachyon, which is a physical a, particle. Particle, right. It travels faster than light. Right. And I believe the story goes that tachyon or tachyon.com was taken, and so Tachius domain was not taken. So you can go see our website at Tachius.com, and that became our company.
0: That's funny. So I have a similar story with modal point when I started almost 10 years ago in that a lot of people don't know this. Google is actually a mathematical term before it was a search engine. It's actually the largest number a human can conceive is of Google. So I said, if it worked for Google, it worked for me. So I got a whole list of mathematical terms. And the first one that .com was available, which was modal point, is how my company got its name. So great minds think alike. All right. So y'all do a lot of stuff, but you do a lot of stuff around production optimization. What does production optimization even mean?
2: Yeah, I think that, that ultimately is the real question that, that we're trying to answer for the industry. Right now, when we look at mature oil and gas fields, people are just pulling out as much oil as they can to drive cash flow. Right. And they're they're trying to get whatever they can out however they can. But the reality is, is that not every barrel in the reservoir is created equally. Right. Every barrel has its own cost structure, its own profit structure, and just the, the difficulty of getting it out of the ground is different. So the question that we'd like to answer is, what if there was a way where we could pull out those high margin barrels first from the reservoir and, and then design a production plan in order to get the highest profitability barrels out first.
0: That's incredible. It sounds like magic. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's right. I mean, it, it, it is a little bit magic. It's, it's kind of like going into a warehouse where all the, the boxes are not labeled and you're going in blind and you're trying to figure out what the right product is to pull out. But what we do is we take the data, the historical data from the production field, you know, pressures, volumes, rates and so on. And then we use that with new kind of cutting edge machine learning techniques to build a model for where those barrels are and then to optimize on a strategy for how to get them out of the ground
0: and so i mean this sounds so cool so but do you do you also compare that to historical data so that you can start seeing trends in those much larger much older data sets
2: absolutely yeah so you know the, the way that this is done today in the industry is they're using you know very detailed geocellular models where they build up a representation of the subsurface what we do is we take that long historical data and we use that to build the model the predictive model rather than actually going straight to these like finely graded, finely detailed models of the reservoir. So we are definitely leveraging that data.
0: So the cool thing about that is the more y'all do it, it has to be the better y'all get at it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So when every time that we change the configuration of the reservoir, we're learning new things about flow in the subsurface. So every time you change an injector configuration or injector pressures and so on, you're actually sampling that porous matrix slightly differently. And so as you make these changes, you learn new things about how to produce and get what's out get get what you need out of the reservoir so yeah so as you take that data in you change the configuration the parameterization we then use that to to go forward with the new optimization strategy
0: and so you're helping them optimize those barrels in there. I get the concept still in my head. I can't quite wrap my head around being able to pull out the higher margin barrels first. But the idea is, is genius, right? But what about all the different type of like a reservoir stimulation, well stimulation techniques? I mean, you got that's so many different data points, so
2: many different actual physical
0: processes. Do y'all work in
2: that world too? We do. So, so right now our, our solutions are focused on steam flood optimization and water flood optimization.
0: And let me stop right there, because a lot of our audience, remember, this audience is a bunch of geeks. What if people don't know what steam flood and water flood optimization is? Sure.
2: Yeah. So steam flood is where you're using heated water, steam, to inject in and lower the viscosity of oil and then use that to produce dry flow to your producers and cover the, the oil. Water flood is where you're, you're putting water into the reservoir and using that to sweep, keep using jargon terms of no, it, sweeping through the, the reservoir to push that oil out to your producers.
0: Yeah. And so, the, the interesting about water flooding is that the Middle East is one of the reasons the Middle East is so productive is they have conventional reservoirs and they literally pump a gallon of seawater in the ground and a gallon of oil comes out. So their cost is is almost zero.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and unfortunately for the rest of us, you I know, know the, the, <laughs> the water cut tends to be a lot higher. So, you know, many companies are producing 90% water through, through production optimizations and they have to, you know, process it and reinject it. Yeah,
0: that's another thing our audience may not know is that oil wells really aren't oil wells. They're water wells that oil and gas sometimes come out of. That's, There's a lot of water produced when you drill in that's right. production.
2: That's right and so when we get into to optimizing a water flood we're actually looking at those kinds of problems as well which is you know where do you get the water that you're putting into it how much can you can you reduce the amount of water that you're putting in and for all the produced water where where should it go you know, are there different parts of fields where you can reinject it and get better results out of it? Each one of those things has a cost associated with it. And so we can actually integrate the economics with these flow models in order to tell you where to put the water and when in order to get the most profit, for example, or cash flow. Dude, that's
0: incredible because you know this. Water is an issue for the entire industry. And whether it's produced water or fresh water, and there's some set of mathematical models that would, would allow you, I've never seen it, but there has to be some set of mathematical models that would allow you to optimize that from a either profit or risk mitigation or both. And it sounds like that's where y'all are going with this. That's exactly Or you're
2: there. We're there. Yeah. No, we're, we're absolutely there. So, you know, we have some customers who have water disposal limits. You know, the wells can only take a certain number of barrels per day, a certain flow rates. So they may have government permits that are limiting them. And they're asking us with the water that we can get rid of, where should we put our injected water in order to, to get under that cap? and therefore like make a profit or, or cash flow or whatever it is that you're trying to, to move forward on a business standpoint. And we can solve those problems today.
0: That is incredible. It's a more people know, need to know about this because one of the things that worries me is I've watched the anti oil and gas people first go after pipelines, which is pretty smart, pretty strategic. And the newest things are going after water, and nobody, myself included, would want to vote for something that might contaminate the water my family drinks, right? And so, being able to control that, measure that, knows know what's best for whatever the business drivers you are—that's that's incredible. I almost think that might be a better use of y'all's technology than than oil production optimization.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, we can handle any kind of flow. So if it's product, producing water, we can do it. So if you if you have a hydrology problem, you need us to solve, let me know. At the same time, I think what's important for us as an industry is to get our our Consistent. You know, the water that we're putting in these reservoirs is not fresh water. It's not drinkable water. We're not disposing into aquifers. Of course, there are risks and, and 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 accidents that happen. But what we're really trying to do is is figure out how we can drive value on a business standpoint so typically when we look at reservoir optimization people are saying like let's just get the most barrels out as possible but that's not really a good strategy ultimately especially in today's environment where you know cash flow matters all these different resources matters and the problem is very complex the government regulators freedom to operate and these kinds of things and so we can use technology today to kind of satisfy most of those stakeholders. You know, we look at, for example, steam flood injection. One of the, the things that a lot of regulators are concerned with is energy consumption, energy intensity, the carbon intensity of steam flood. So if we could get more production, for the same or less steam than they're getting today, then everybody wins. And so our technology will allow you to approach all these different kinds of problems in a way that makes like you know disciplined financial sense.
0: No, this is, this is freaking incredible. So Garrett, I gotta back you up. How did you get in our industry?
2: So I kind of fell backwards into oil and gas. So I have a PhD in geophysics. Wait, you're a rock nerd and you have social skills? <laughs> no hate mail people. I'm just saying usually geophysicists
0: don't always have the best social skills. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I guess I try my best, but sometimes I make mistakes too. But I'm actually an expert in Ocean Island volcanoes and the deep structure of the mantle. And I finished my PhD and my postdoc in 2008. Not a lot of academic jobs going through the Great Recession. And... I ended up in the oil and gas industry because there were a lot of really interesting problems that I think are very relevant to people's lives, and haven't looked back since. Just really excited about the opportunity to contribute to this to our energy endeavor, and to move forward in a way that, that kind of helps everybody, you know.
0: So what's really cool about that? You talked about mantle and. You know, volcanic islands. So you, then you understand that the the everything is moving, right? Our continental that's plates right. are shifting. Yeah. And places like Hawaii is literally just a vent point. That every so often we have an eruption. It builds an island. Then it moves. And then it moves. And then it moves. That is really cool. Now, you know what's cool about having that background, that love for rock, is in the oil and gas industry. That's literally. Like you have it all and you have the budget to actually play with stuff and the equipment to actually do really cool stuff. I could really geek out over a bunch of stuff. <laughs> if you ever if you ever see some of these advanced reservoir modeling audience, it is incredible what we could do in today's world with data. It is just it is stunning. But I want to go back to to what y'all are doing. So when you're helping operators optimize production. And then you're learning from them because the more you do, the more you can see results, the more you can track that data. You must be talking about some heavy lift technology here. I mean, we're not talking just machine learning.
2: Well, so you big data sets. It's big data. I mean, it's a complicated problem and, and for, for a lot of different reasons. So you need big data. You need big compute. But um, even
0: the big data is not as, as useful because typically in oil gas it's dirty data. It's not clean. So now you have to have something to clean it
2: up, right? <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the biggest challenges in the industry today is you, you go to a customer and you say, you know, we're going to help you optimize your production. And they say, great, we really need you to do that. What do you need to do that? And we say, well, we need, you know, the pressures, the injection rates and temperatures, any, any data you have on the wells. And it's a Great. Well, where is it? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's, it depends on what you guys have in your system. But you know, there's a, a huge part of of any client engagement goes into you know inventorying what's available, inventorying what's not available, and then really it's it's oftentimes a trade off between what's available and what, what levels of uncertainty we're willing to tolerate in the project. I mean, for most of these data driven applications, we should, as an industry, get out of this kind of deterministic mode and start thinking about these uncertainty. You know, the, the range of uncertainty. Probably Probabilistic methods for predicting. And you know, as you, you know, people tell me, oh, we don't have enough data, it's not good enough. And it's like, well, let's talk about what good enough means. And that means what's the range of uncertainty that we're willing to tolerate for this application.
0: Yeah, and it's it's actually when you get deep into it, especially around completions, and, and, and people argue with me with this, but I'm telling you, I've seen it. A lot of it is educated guessing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is experience. It's something this guy's been doing it for 30 years, and maybe he can't even articulate, right? But he gets it right most of the time. And unfortunately, those people are leaving and that knowledge is in their heads are leaving. And so technology is the answer for that. And the technology, once we get it where it needs to be, so especially things like machine learning, once you get the machine trained properly, it's now really, really, really good at that one thing that it's doing. And this allows people to companies to keep operating and be efficient even if, as their workforce transitions to this new, younger workforce that doesn't have the 25 years of field experience.
2: Well I think I think that's a really good point which is that as you are developing these these new engineers and scientists in the oil and gas industry, they're looking for new methods and they're open-minded in terms of how we, how we manage and how we operate. These kinds of techniques, data-driven techniques, in many cases can see patterns and can see opportunities an individual person would not have had yep. access to before. And so it, it changes a little bit how we approach the job. Now, I'll be the first person to tell you, you need a deep physical intuition to how flow works in a reservoir to be able to use one of these very powerful tools correctly. I mean, not everybody can go out and draw, drive a Dodge Viper, right? Right. And so... You that's know, you, a good one
0: to pick, too, because <laughs> the audience doesn't know when they first came out, they had no traction control, no collision avoidance. It was just, are you a good enough driver not to wrap it around a tree?
2: That's right. It's a very hard car to drive. And and so, you know, you need people who have these deep technical skills who can go out and use these very powerful data-driven models. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get a bad result. I mean, it's typical for most of the of these applications. And that's why people are very skeptical of them. And so what we do is we have you know, training programs that help people understand, you know, learn the technology better and, and guide their intuition for how they can manage their fields. And then that just opens up a wide spectrum of opportunities they may not have thought before. Yeah, Garrett, I gotta ask you a question. So
0: so one of the things I see, that this industry has always been competitive, right? If you're an operator you in your world, you have competitors the same way if you're a pipeline company or a refinery or service company, whatever. But in the last, say, decade, I've seen companies that were normally competitors share HSE data, and I mean like real data, mm-hmm. because they want their competitors to go home safe at night, right? The same thing, I think, needs to happen eventually in production data, because if we would share it, and you can strip out the stuff that makes it identifiable, but if we share it, then you can learn quicker and faster. Do you agree with me and do you see that happening anytime soon?
2: So I think that there's a lot of valuable insight to get to sharing operational concepts. At the same time, the specific problem we're looking at tends to be very reservoir specific. And while, you know, looking at other operator data for different fields may help guide, you know, development of the algorithms and calibration, it probably wouldn't be enough to, to go and say, okay, run your field the same way we're doing over here. But I definitely think we're going to get to a point in this industry where we start sharing a lot more data because it's going to help everybody move forward in a much, much more constrained way.
0: Yeah. So I understand at a high level, I still think it's magic. I understand at a high level what you do. I love what you're doing, especially around produce water. But when you actually look at the business process, are you running into the resistance of, I've never seen this before? from a from business development point of view?
2: Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. So we run into both ends of the problem. First is that this is magic. We don't believe it. And the second one is this is what we've been doing for 30 years. It's not useful for us. And the way that that works is that, you know, when you first talk about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and how we use those modern techniques to guide the solution to reservoir reservoir physics, which is how we've, we've implemented it at Tachius, people say, oh, it's a black box. It's all data-driven. And then we go into it. And what you find out is that we're using Machine learning to parameterize a flow model. We use the ENKF ensemble Kalman filter, which is a technique that's used for forecasting hurricanes, for example. So it's a very common data assimilation framework. It's very understandable. And then you go through that process and you explain how you're using physics to constrain the machine learning algorithms. And everyone's like, "Oh, well, you're just accelerating what we do normally when we're looking at flow things." It's like, "Yeah, that's right, you know." And it's like, "Well, what's special about that?" Well, what's special is that we're doing it on steroids. You know, we're right. doing it faster. We're looking at a much broader scope of problems, and we can give you optimizations that are relevant in a business time frame instead of taking six months, 12 months, et cetera.
0: Yeah, not that long ago, some of this stuff would literally take a year. It, I mean, today probably five or six. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so it's amazing y'all can do it in that short a time period. That's right, yeah. Because the, the companies that are quicker to first oil and quicker to profitability are the ones that are going to pull ahead. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So we, we talked about big data. We talked about cleaning up big data big data analytics, machine learning. What else is included in y'all's technology? I mean, because y'all have to have some AI, There has to be a bit of AI in there, which is different than machine learning.
2: Yeah, that's right. So what's really interesting for us is that there's, we use this machine learning algorithm to train the physical model. And that gets us into a situation where we're able to reproduce the, the historical production and then forecast future production. That in itself is useful for my, many of our customers. useful to be able to forecast future production. That's like the Holy Grail. It's an, that's like the goose- it's an estimate yeah but so the next step for us is that we use AI to guide the optimization and that's where, another place we're using these new technologies because with the speed of our ml driven simulator, we can search through millions of operational scenarios. Things like, you know, varying injection rates on a daily basis, for example. You know, moving injection over the course of a year from one part of a field to another part of a field, and you know, human can think of those and conceive of those. But unless we have an idea for what we're going to test, we can't com- test that with conventional technology. And here, the AI guides that optimization process to give you a production plan. That meets your business goals.
0: This, that's, this is awesome. And what, I mean, what a great show. The All-Gas Tech Show for us to have this discussion on. So let me ask you a couple of like kind of real world questions. So if I'm an operator and I wanted to see if y'all can help me increase optimization of my fields, do other than working with you and paying your fees, do I need to bring in more sensors? Do I need to bring in more connectivity to, to, to my fields?
2: yeah i think you know that's a question we get a lot as well and and the reality is 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 we focus on mature fields and most of them are under instrumented and maybe under maintained you know depending on how things go what i think is really cool about what we do as a technology is we can take the data you have today we can give you a forecast we'll give you an uncertainty range but then we can use that to understand the sensitivity Of that forecast to your actual instruments in the field we don't sell sensors but we can tell you yeah if you instrumented this well over here better than it is today then you're going to be able to reduce the uncertainty of your forecast and instead of going out and just blanketing your whole field with smart sensors we can actually target where you're going to add new technology to give you the most value for the predictive predictability of your field
0: so you know this is music to my ears because a lot of the big control companies out there tend to come into a big company like a Chevron and go, yep, you buy our proprietary product or proprietary sensors, you put it on every single well you have, and it's, it's heaven, and it's not, right? Because you have different age fields, you have different types of connectivity, different types of bandwidth, different weather constraints. You know, you may have some legacy equipment out there that still works. And then the other thing is, the sensor is only as good as it's calibrated or as its, it's accuracy is checked. And, and what I've seen is I would bet half, Of the sensors out there that are operating and kicking out data aren't optimized, aren't, haven't been adjusted. And so the data is naturally
2: skewed. That's right. And I think you know there is a big disconnect between the scientists in the office and the field people, Who the field people who understand that there's sensor drift, there's inaccuracy, miscalibrations, et cetera, and the office people who think that everything's working perfectly to within like 0.001 degree of accuracy. And that's one of the w- things that you get out of the machine learning algorithms is you'll see how sensitive it is to a given measurement. And then the algorithm will say, well, guess what? You know That measurement's actually not influencing the prediction at well or, or the fit at, at all. And so So, yeah, there's a lot of error on that sensor, so we're not going to count it in. And so when you're working in in the traditional workflow, you don't necessarily get that intelligence out. And so you're weighting these data points equally when they're not at all equal.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I do love about y'all is y'all actually have field experience. I've seen probably hundreds by now of tech companies that have some really great technology that some of it's very useful, solve some very big problems. But because they've never been in the field, they don't realize that that guy is covered in pipe dope or that there is no connectivity in West Texas. So you need to catch the data or, or whatever. And it's that field experience that makes a difference. Things like intrinsically safe, right? That's kind of a big deal in this industry. Right. But if, if you've never spent time in the field, you wouldn't think of that sort of stuff. That's
2: absolutely. Right. And, you know, early in my career, I had the opportunity to go out and do like a real field experiment. And one of the things I had, I was laying down seismometers and, and the surveyed endpoint point was in the middle of a Creek. And so, you know, you move it to the dry land and then it's like, well, did that get recorded? Did that get captured in the plan? And then it doesn't always happen. And So it's kind of a philosophy philosophy that I think we take to our projects. We have several different kinds of, some of our different projects have had field implementations that take a long time because you have to send a person out there in a truck to windshield time, right? And then you go turn a crank or turn a valve. And what you find through that process is that you can't actually implement the scenario that you thought. And so we build, take that new information in, we rebuild the scenario with new constraints, and we can optimize under the actual real world physical constraints of your field. It's not just a theoretical model.
0: That's incredible. my other big beef with a lot of the stuff that's changed the last couple of years, a lot of it's academia. It works great back in the office, but you know, nobody realizes that, that valve only opens. It's only a half-inch ball valve or whatever, right? You can only flow so much through it. I love that about y'all. So your model then, then learns what the, constraint, the physical constraints are in the field.
2: Well, so so we learn as we implement, and the customer learns, and then we use that to build in constraints to how we do the optimization.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going back in a big circle. We talked earlier about data before we start talking about sensors. Yeah. Y'all work with unstructured data? Do you have the ability to, to do that as well?
2: So we have some products that we're working on in the pipeline that can work with unstructured data. Most Mostly what we're doing right now is is very kind of structured production data because you really need that for for driving these forecasts. But there are a lot of interesting problems that we're looking at that, that look at other kinds of data as well. Yeah,
0: because the problem in our industry is so much of the stuff that's really useful is unstructured. And in audience, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody has that PDF on their on their laptop that's right. that was started off as a, a word document and they're literally typing in production numbers. Well now this machine can't see that on the laptop. Although there is technologies out there to, to do it. We're actually a Microsoft Office 365 shop. And it has a SharePoint backbone and it does document revisions automatically. So if you and I both work on a doc, we can roll it back. The newest thing that Microsoft rolled out, I just saw it go. This is kind of scary, but it's cool. Is I can see when my people are working on stuff. So there's an audit trail now. Mm -hmm. And it's like... This is kind of cool, and so the machine's doing it itself. It's not a person doing it. Yep. So the unstructured data, not yet, but y'all are playing around with that. The structured data, which then means y'all have to have some type of y'all have, have connectivity. You have to have APIs for because there's a gazillion different software packages out there.
2: It's it's a big struggle for us. So yeah, I'd say that that one of the number one you know, time consuming things for doing a project like this is getting the data organized, getting it in. Most companies have their own private formats. And so there's some degree of coding that goes in, you know, just getting hooked up to their databases or, or getting in that, but it's, it's a big challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this industry, a lot of people don't know this, this industry has always been a big data industry, even back when it was paper mud logs in the Mm -hmm. forties. But as an industry, we aren't really good at using that for anything. And companies like yours are coming in going, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of upside. You can, you know, decrease operational costs you can increase margins if you use the data and you're coming in and what i love about it is you're not talking about it in ivory tower you're actually really doing it with clients
2: yeah I mean it gets dirty because we're actually doing it you know and when we we're, we're running into these problems and and I think it's true most all of our customers that I've talked to they, they recognize that they have more data than they've been using in the past and they want to start using it more efe- efficiently and more effectively and that starts with a cleanup project you know in almost every case and and then it then once you have it set up where you understand it you understand who's responsible for the data then you have the ability to really drive these business applications very quickly quickly. You know, a typical run for our model to get a new optimization could take, you know, less than 2 hours. It's super fast, but getting everything in the position where you can go and then and do that may take a couple weeks. But on an ongoing basis, you have the ability to like what happens if oil drops to 65 or from 65 to 35, how would we change our production concept? Well, we can find that out right away if the data is there yeah. and it's all cleaned up.
0: Yeah, So, Garrett, we're getting close to getting out of here. If one more thing I want to kind of cover. So, I know we have a big listener base of operators, mid-size operators and smaller. If a company wanted to engage with you, how does that usually look?
2: So, a typical engagement, we'll go through and we'll scope a pilot where we're looking for testing very specific hypotheses. Usually customers will come to us and say, we're interested in this technology and we have these questions. And so we'll design a field experiment based on answering those questions before we move forward into to a more operational phase. A lot of the questions are around predictability, you know, the ability to match historical data within some error band or error range. And then we move from kind of a pilot phase into an operational phase. I love that pilot
0: model because what you're really doing is minimizing risk for both you and them because you don't want to get caught into this huge project with a bunch of scope creep and you lose money and they don't want to spend money if it doesn't actually help them in some way. So this kind of limits risk for you and
2: them. That's right. It's exactly right. I mean, and many, many customers out there, they don't want to put, 20,000 barrels a day at risk, you know, when they're, we're trying experimental technology. So we find a subset where we think we understand what's going on in the field, and then we try and, and, and demonstrate the powers of the technology under certain constraints. And then from there, we roll it out and scale up.
0: It must be the best feel in the world when you when you're going through that pilot and you see that senior engineer and you see the light bulb go off in his head.
2: It's amazing. Yeah. So we had a customer, unfortunately I can't talk about who it is, who we we went through this process, did an implementation, and for the first three months we showed a ten percent increase in production. That's incredible. And it just it was amazing for, and everybody you know, everybody's so excited and it's like, where did this come from? It's like, well it was there, we just got it out earlier, you know. Good for y'all, and, congratulations. Uh, it was great, yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So like I said, we're getting close to getting out of here. It's time to do the product reviews. If you have a tech product you want me to review, just ping me and let me know. And I've said this a bunch of times, not big, bulky, heavy steel, not compressors or generators or flow meters or anything, stuff that's gadgety. It's small. And today, Garrett, we're actually talking about the GoPro Hero 7, which is actually sitting right there. Yeah, this is my second GoPro. And the thing I love about this one, this one shoots actually in 4K. And the app for it makes it totally intuitive. So even though lately the last couple of versions of GoPros had a screen on the back, you really can't see anything on it, especially in bright sun, especially if you're going down a, a hill on a snowboard or swimming or, or whatever. else. And this, the app with this works really, really well. The other thing I like about it has voice control. So I can say GoPro turn on. Hopefully it didn't do it. Or GoPro turn off or GoPro take a picture GoPro record, which is great when you're wearing an action camera. Now, I'm not into extreme sports. I typically use that when we go to conferences to capture B-roll. But really great camera. It's about $193. There's a link in the show notes if, if you want to interested pick one up. And then you heard me talk before about the street team. If you're interested in joining, it's our all-volunteer group. We have a global street team now. We're over, I think, 200-some-odd members now. All we really ask you for is an hour of, of donation of work, and it's really helping us with our social media. And if you get busy with other stuff, we don't care if you can't give us an hour. So go join the street team. I think there's a Facebook group, and Tim is out there actually working to, to add some more value to that. And then BCD Travels, our travel sponsor of choice, they do handle all the travel for this show and all of our other shows. If you want to get your people and your parts and pieces anywhere in the world on time and safely, and get them back, check out BCD Travel. And then we talked earlier about Flutour. They are the leader in industrial IoT and oil and gas. They're doing this really cool thing for the listeners. Go to getflator.com forward slash podcast OGGNR easier. Go to the show. to so Click on the link and you get a chance to win this Port Authority Cyber Backpack. Really cool backpack that Flator has given out to our guests as thank you for listening to the show. And then while you're online, go to our website. It's oilandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. And might as well join the LinkedIn group. Gary, you want to hear something crazy? I brought in a new marketing guy just a couple months ago. And our LinkedIn page went from literally 1,100 followers to 13,000 in a couple of months. That's what happens when you hire the right people. So big shout out to Tim and, and Alex out there for making our marketing stuff just pop. All right, Garrett, this has been awesome. I actually want to kind of maybe get you back on the show about a year from now because we talk about the progress you made. But if people want to learn more about your company, where should they go?
2: You should go to our website, www.tacchius.com.
0: And we'll put a link in the show notes, people.
2: I'd love for you guys to give me a call. Reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn or through Tacchius. And love to talk about optimizing your fields.
0: Yeah, and, and he really will just talk to you about and show you and explain to you. He's not a sales guy, I promise you. Garrett, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. All right, folks,
0: we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck.
1: Hey, guys, we have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon from 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this Happy Hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver Happy Hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oilfield Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora-Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilley-Tamora-Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 1130 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, Are Your PMs Preventing or Causing Failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark Lacour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Temp Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.